Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Testing, testing, one, two, three, four. And I'm seeing how it is here on my side. Uh-huh. How do I sound? What What's changed here? Well, we're trying very hard to please our fans. <sighs> our and, fans. And while we are in our at-home recording studio, we have room for a slightly bigger microphone. Well, a much more sophisticated and professional microphone. Due to comments from listeners about heavy breathing on my end, I have uh, invested in a brand new microphone, a Yeti Blue and we are testing it for the first time. It is a four-pound monster sitting on the mic stand. Hopefully it will create great new podcast listening experiences for all of our listeners. Will we be able to take it in the motorhome? Yes, I think in the motorhome, but it will not probably go with us when we do no, not on location. No, not in a suitcase trip. Uh-uh. Not in a suitcase trip. But and, and this big stand we have to bring? No, we don't. We can use the table stand, I All think, because right. it comes with a nice uh, table stand. Under the other circumstances, we use a stereo pair of lavalier microphones that look like earbuds look with like long earbuds. with long so wires. So very nice and and light for portability, but for in-studio recording, <clears throat> like we are now, where we want to have that deep and resonant tone without heavy breathing, we have invested in the new microphone, which uh, we will appreciate comments and questions from our listeners telling us exactly your experiences with the new Blue Yeti. So let us know how we're, how we're coming across on the airwaves. Okay, so now it's time to get started. <sighs> how do we start? How do we start? Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And, and we're we talking are. to you for our January, July podcast. <laughs> she is January. way off. And our at-home studio with our new microphone. We've had time to gather our thoughts and gather a little more information about RVing than we did last time. Yes, indeed. Because we have been home for the whole month of June, and we are looking forward to July uh, as a great month uh, full of warm weather and time to go camping. And we're letting you, dear listener, go off and do camping because we are staying home. We're staying out of your way. We're not on the roads. We're not taking up valuable camping spaces in prime locations. We are just laying back, playing golf, tennis, pickleball, riding all those bikes. exciting riding bikes, and enjoying the Chicago area. And when we're at home, we try even not to go out on the weekends so we can stay. <laughs> out of the way of you young youngins and your family because we know that you want to go camping and enjoying the rv and enjoying the best of nature and we rather enjoy having the places to ourselves during the week or in the non-summer time yes uh, but we do want to of course share our camping experiences with you and i have been reminded uh lately because so many people have gone to alaska and they have been using our blog i just got an email yesterday from a, a listener who has enjoyed reading our blog and found our experiences very helpful in doing their itinerary for alaska and so what do we do well we feel the same way because yes. we often read other people's blogs 
things to get ideas about where to go and how best to see whatever it is we think we want to see. We've looked at a variety of different kinds of blogs. There are a lot of choices out there if you want to do some blogging. And obviously, I have settled on my trip journal. One of the things I like about my trip journal is the map feature, which yes. is built into the blog program because you can mark every day where you are exactly. So especially when you're going to places that your mm-hmm. readers have not been to themselves, they can kind of orient themselves about where your comments are and where they're taking place. And I have read blogs that other people have written where they were describing something that sounded very interesting to me that I would like to do, but I couldn't tell from the blog itself exactly where it was I was supposed to go. So that's one of the things I like about my trip journal. And I like the, the photo gallery because it has you can go to the photo gallery or not. You could read the text without the photos, but you can then click on the photo gallery and page through all the photos. And you can look at them big or small depending yes, on right. how interested you are exactly. in looking at them. And it also has a very quick and easy way to upload short videos. Where some right. some of the things that we do are best portrayed in action rather than just from a photograph, so I like having that choice as well. And is my trip journal expensive? If you pay for it annually, I think it's $80, but if you are a cheapskate, you can uh, do the free trial, which seems to be able to go on forever, which means that there will be ads posted on your blog. So I would suggest if you're experimenting to to do a free one and see how you like it, and then pay the annual fee if you decide you want to do that. Another thing I like about my trip journal is that it accumulates a lot of other people's yes. journals. It's Yesterday I was I was we were we were thinking about doing the coast of Norway and mm-hmm. so we just went on there and looked at from all over the world blogs of people who had already done what we are thinking about doing, which gave us some impressions of how best to approach it. And before we went to Alaska we certainly read several blogs of people who had done it in two thousand eleven before us and uh, we found them to be quite interesting because you get the kind of the day-by-day itinerary of exactly what they were doing and, and what they encountered as they were doing it. And in my younger days, when we only did days. one or two trips a year, I had the misimpression oh. that I would always remember exactly where I had oh, gone yeah. and exactly is... what I had seen. And oh. um, those memories have begun to fade, sadly. And even now, in our in my ninth year of retirement, <laughs> when we have traveled so very much, I tend to get where into where, arguments get with my... <laughs> RV Navigator about when we were, where we were, what we saw, and it's such a nice reference to go back and look at it again. Well, and you can print them, you can save them off on a CD, so you have this as kind of a historical record. And if you do a special trip, like an Alaska trip, they even have a feature which I have not done, where you can make your blog into a book, <gasps> like a me- right. photo memory book. Ooh, I don't know cool. what that costs, but that's a feature they offer as well. Cool. Now, uh, we should mention that uh, although we do pay for uh, my trip journal, our blog, Martha's blog, is really listed on the front page. So if you'd like to look at our journal, it's listed as one of the best. The four best. The four best. Uh, my trip journals as an example of what you can do. And I think one of the reasons why is because you keep it up so faithfully. 
Well, thank you. <laughs> no more accolades for her. She doesn't know what to say. So, and, and the other thing that has really surprised me over the years, when we first uh, left left home, it was mostly friends and family that were reading the journal because they were the ones that were interested in what we were doing. But over the years, yes. and probably through this podcast as well, I would say that well more than half of my readers are people who I do not know. And that's very cool also. It motivates me to keep writing, especially on those days when it's tough to do because we've already done so much that day. And then I have to sit down and go through all my pictures. Oh, and yes. then I have to sit down and oh, write about it. Oh, the, um, the horrors of travel. And sometimes on cruise ships, it can be a challenge to get everything posted with Because the we should internet. mention that you do do all the writing online. I mean, that's kind of a part of it. Well, no, I, oh. can, I can write offline. How? Um, I just write in a word processing uh-huh. program. When I, when the internet is expensive, like on a cruise ship, I prepare the photos and I prepare the writing all offline. I see. And then I can just go on the website and post it just as quick as it will uh-huh, upload. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's an easy way to but do it. But under normal circumstances, you type right into the web text box. And yeah, it would, yeah. So you don't need any software on your computer. No. And it can be done on any computer. You could do it on your iPad, your iPhone. And theoretically, you could work on a pen drive and, and take it somewhere. I'm thinking about people who are like backpacking and uh-huh, stuff uh-huh. or they might go to an internet cafe oh, really? depending oh, on, okay. on how okay, things yeah. are configured you could even just have it on a pen and go somewhere to upload it and can you use it to archive your pictures um, I archive every trip that we take after we're done doing it. But, I mean, could you use it to put all your pictures Yeah, I think there? you could, if you were paying. Well, if you don't pay, you can only put up so that many I pictures. That I don't know because I don't do that. Uh-huh. But you can put up as many pictures It'll as you want. It'll say on the it, website. Uh-huh. So you could use it, you know, as kind of a safety factor. To, a backing up a of backing your pictures. A backing up of your pictures so mm-hmm. that in case uh, something happens to your, your camera or your card or computer or something, that you would have these pictures saved away. And the other thing that I like that it forces me to do because I... I try to write every day, almost every day that we're on a trip, is that I group the pictures for that location right away uh-huh. and label, and them. label mm-hmm. the best ones yeah. that I would want to use again. Then you get this bad experience when you get home where you have all these pictures and you don't exactly remember where was this church or that museum and what was the name of it. And Now you use GPS geotagging. No, I like the names. Geotagging. It tells you exactly where, where you, you took were. the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Now, lately, just for the information of our listeners, I have been using and putting my photos on 500PIX. That's 500px.com. And if you look under Ken Wiseman, you'll see a collection of my photos. They are really great. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. We've been putting together kind of a best of collection, if you'd like to to take a look at some of our best photos, uh, taken by both the co-pilot and the navigator. So this is an unsolicited testimonial from my trip <laughs> journal, but uh, you know, uh, yes, an unsolicited I, is the word. I don't have strong feelings about that, but I would encourage you to keep good records of your trips because if mm-hmm. you are like me, your memory will fail you. And certainly, other software like WordPress uh, is another big one, and you can have your own domain there. So there are reasons why you'd want to use other software. But I like uh, my trip journal because for travel. Yes, for travel because it separates the pictures from the text, and a lot of times I don't want to scroll through 
800 pictures to get to the next sentence. And the MyTrip Journal separates that out, plus the fact that it's very easy to use and uses no software, backs up your pictures, and they're pretty nice to work with, and they've developed it over the years. Yeah, and occasionally over the years as they've modified things, I've had some technical issues with them, <laughs> and they do really have a support staff that really does respond to your questions or suggestions. I mean, Because when was the first one that you put up? I started in 06, I 06. think. 06. So every trip that we have done... And Since then I went 06. back retroactively and put one. And of they them have up a nice search engine so that you can search for trips that that are specifically at an itinerary that you're looking for. And right? you can search generally like France, or mm -hmm. you can search very specifically like Oslo or RV. So uh, I don't know if you can search for an RV. Oh, trip. I think so because I think I've done that. Mm, okay. I think searched RV in Alaska because mm. I didn't want to look at everybody's Alaska pictures. Because mm -hmm, you so get just, cruises then too. Well, you well, you get a thousand hits too. So if you look just under RV, and it's interesting to see over the years uh, because Alaska has been so popular for so long, and, and how things have changed in Alaska, the roads and things. And usually I just search in the best section because they are more readable journals. And how do they get to be best? The staff selects them. Staff selects them. Uh, and they're always behind in that regard. Uh -huh. uh, it, it's got to be a huge job for them to kind of go back and review what everybody is submission. And and people write from, keep my trip journal from other countries in other languages, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so this is all in English, the one that you read? Well, sure, that's oh, all I've that never, I read. I never even thought about that. Yes, but you, cool. you can do a search and find that all of a sudden somebody is writing in French and... It may or may not be helpful to you. And so as long as I'm thinking about it, uh, if you'd like to go to iTunes and say that you find the RV Navigator podcast to be exciting and wonderful and you'd like to give us a rating, this would be a good time to do that. I haven't looked lately to see how our ratings are doing. And, of course, we don't sell any ads or anything, so it really doesn't make all that much difference. But it's very nice to read your comments in iTunes about our podcast, whether they're good or bad, and to read the ratings. And you're reminding me that on my trip journal, there's also a feature where your readers can comment and leave messages for you through uh -huh. the journal uh -huh. and that hides I think your email address from them if you are privacy oriented and then you can collect their comments and put them out like on a on a little file that other people can oh, read really? the comments right so they can read the comments about your blog uh -huh, that other people how have do you know made. how many readers that you have well depending on how you organize it with my blog because I do a separate blog for every trip we take I get daily, daily. tallies of how many people looked at my blog that day uh -huh. and it goes back about a month but if i wanted to see total how many people mm -hmm. visited i'd have to add up those daily visits from every trip we've taken which is more trouble than it's worth so mytripjournal.com and if you'd like to read ours it's mytripjournal.com slash wiseman right okay if you'd like to keep in touch in other ways maybe you'd like to send some postcards oh, this is so Antiquated. Did you see the other postcard yes, app I, I sent you? Because there's there's certainly more than one of these. Right, and if you can remember what it is, I'll be glad to put it on here. The one I thought I had was called Hazel Mail, but I couldn't find it. I think the one I sent you was just called Postcard. Postcard. Um, anyway, so if you're interested in sending postcards to people, there are a couple of new apps for your phone. Digital postcard. Digi well, not only digital, but... That uh, one does buy the mail, but, too. But does mail, too. Postel is a postcard <laughs> that enables you to easily create custom postcards using your own photos and a personalized message, and then share them instantly through email, Facebook, or Twitter. You can select 
the layout, the theme of your card and place it just right and then type in your message and you're ready to share it. So postcard, when was the last time you sent a postcard? To very old people who don't do the internet. Well, when was that? A long time ago. I think it's been years and years and years. My, Um, My aunt. Your, oh, yeah, probably yeah. we sent it to Vienna. Yeah. You're right. Postcard on the Run, another app, lets you send real postcards through the mail of a photo you took using this free app. Now, Postel is, uh, I think, $1.99. You can also include the QR code or a URL to a video. Oh, cool. So, on the, so, so you, you post you, the video on YouTube? Uh, I guess so. It says URL for a video. <laughs> but you can send a real postcard so that if you have somebody who's... <laughs> Halfway between internet digi- impaired. <laughs> well, but internet impaired. But you sent them a, U- a URL to a video. That wouldn't be good. <laughs> Printed on the postcard that they would have to type in. Well, that would probably be to a video that would be too big to send electronically. I mean, but this not- card is sent through the mail. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So if you have other postcard uh, apps that you might like to share with us, uh, <laughs> send them along. And you, the other one that you had was. It was just called postcard. Uh-huh. And it, I took a picture with my iPhone, and uh-huh. then it gave me a selection of frames to put around the yeah. picture. They just and, make it cool because it looks I, like a postcard. And then I emailed Sending it. Sending as an email. It's, it's actually just an email that you sent. Right. With a picture. Another app that you might like to take a look at is called A to B Distance App. This is cool because there are many times when you want to know how far is it from here to there. So compute the distance between two points in miles, kilometers, or nautical miles. There's a free and a pro version, and it's iOS and Android. And that's called A to B Distance. So, you know, how far is it between this city and that city? I mean, we have done that so many times. times. And if you just need this little app that just kind of just tells you, can I drive that distance that day, or, you know, how far? Or is it for me to walk or Or is this bike campground or? close enough to what I want to be seeing yeah, in that yeah, area? Yeah. So I can see that as a as, as a definite app. And free. There's nothing better than free. We like free. We like free. Okay, now something way cool. Is this the hot pot? The hot pot. <laughs> It is cool. It is. As a general, I, I wish I had a use for it. But as, a, <laughs> as a generally unenthusiastic techie, even I say this is cool. So this is a... I can't even hardly believe this. The, the power pot uses hot water to generate power, essentially acting as a mini thermoelectric generator. This means it converts heat directly into power to charge USB handheld devices. The power pot is simple. Just add water and then place over a heat source like a campfire, as noted in the picture. Plug it into a flame-resistant charging cable and watch it charge as fast as a wall outlet. It takes a mere 10 to 60 seconds to start charging an electronic device after placing the pot on its heat source. And we're looking at the pictures here. And then you can make soup. You put in the water, and you could be making soup simultaneously. You stick this thing in the water, and you have a... It's an just, electric cord coming out of your pot. It's charging your phone. The energy from heat to electricity. And what kind of technology is it using? Thermoelectric. Mm-hmm. But this is a great idea. If you don't have... Well, solar is kind of iffy many times. 
of course, so are campfires. But this could be something that that people who are hiking in the particular... The Appalachian Trail, that's where you would use it. Well, and all sorts of people who are out in the boonies mm-hmm. and don't have... Uh, now, you're not going to charge up your batteries in your motorhome by any means. But for your phone. But for your phone, you can charge it quite rapidly and uh, while you're doing something else. And, of course, where will you find the link to see the actual pictures of this? And how big is it? 12 ounces it holds. So it's actually very small. Mm-hmm. It fits on a single burner... Like stove. a butane stove. We don't want to forget about our campfire. You could put it on our campfire. <laughs> so well, I have been very where busy. Where did you first see about this campfire? I don't know, but I... Because I, I made campfires about... like this to cook on in Girl Scouts, so we're talking way back. Well, this is my my paraffin cardboard tin campfire to be used in places where you are not allowed to have a campfire probably because of fire danger but you would really like to have so a campfire. on the website there are complete pictures documenting every, document, every step of this and i bought paraffin you know it's hard to buy these tins i wanted a cookie tin that was about four inches by that you would mail a, a foot and i couldn't find any of those i think they're I best to available hobby lobby and to during the christmas season yeah, well, I didn't want anything fancy, so finally I ended up buying it on the web, and my tins came, and then I cut up some cardboard, put it in, put Made in some wicks, wicks out of string, wicks out of string, and poured the paraffin in, and so now I have a nine-inch tin, which is about all I could buy, the biggest I could buy, and I think it was ten, and it's full of paraffin, ready for making into a campfire. In Girl Scouts, we use number ten tin cans, and we cooked on them. Or you could make power. Yes. You could use it. So you could use sterno. <laughs> <laughs> Although the making of the fire, the portable campfire is uh, on this website. We haven't actually given it a try yet because it's only been 100 degrees outside and it's not very comfortable. I'll let you know whether it's good for roasting marshmallows. Ooh. That to me is my ultimate test of a campfire. Oh, paraffin is so good <laughs> for making roasting marshmallows. Today is the day to start start taking care of yourself and your back. If you've ever had a sore back or even have a good back and want to keep it that way, you need strong back. And, you know, we just bought a... Cheap lawn chair. Cheap lawn chair. Well, a those folding. Chairs, folding those one. chairs in a bag that and are I, easy to carry to a yeah, concert or something. Yeah, and they are okay, but you wouldn't want to use it on a full-time basis. In the RV, we actually have, I think, unfolding chairs. Which are more comfortable. Whereas these are canvas. But this new one sounds kind of good, and it has come with some good recommendations. It's the strong back chair, and it has an ergonomically designed backrest. The tubing of the chair is not just straight up and down as most chairs are. Uh-huh. It curves in the lumbar area to offer you support and keep you sitting erect rather than kind of slumped into that little pouch that gets created after you've been sitting on a portable chair for a while. So you might want to take a look at this as a option to buying just the cheap $12 chair at Walmart. Like we like just we bought. <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't really think she needed a a, a lumbar support. But. Oh, I very much need lumbar support, but, but for the, those occasions when we're just going to a concert for an hour, a cheap one is fine. So many RVs, RV enthusiasts are planning to travel more this summer, so says a survey. RV owners responding to a survey indicated that their continuing preference for longer road trips, which kind of surprises me with mm-hmm. gas prices, what they are, although they're coming down here in the Chicago area. Of course, gas is just outrageously expensive. As always. Over $4 a gallon. The largest respondent group, 48.8% said they generally travel more than 1,000 miles when taking a trip in their RV. Closer to home trips of 
100 to 499 miles, ranked second. So people are actually planning on traveling this summer, and that's that's good news. We like to see the RVers out and us at home. Well, and I'm thinking when you own an RV, you want to use it, and you can go farther away and stay for many more nights more cheaply, so why not? Yeah. If you're just going to do Well, a that's the advantage of RVing exactly. and camping in, exactly. in general is, is that it's a fairly inexpensive way to, to get away and, and have a good time with the family. And even though I don't think the economy is where we would like it to be, it seems to be improving. There's a lot of pent-up desire to do the stuff we've always been doing. So what do you think about spending the whole trip doing boondocking? I was reading a boondocking forum yesterday, and there were many people who said, we never stay in a campground. I don't know if they were doing it just because they're cheap. And they said, oh, well, we would much rather stay in, in a Walmart. I don't like to do that. Yeah. Willing to do it for the right reasons. Um, I think we've talked about this before. Yes. Sometimes you go to a, a fair or a festival where the only way to be there is to yes. boondock, and then it's worth it. Sometimes you go to a very remote area that has no campgrounds, like in Alaska, where they might let you boondock, and that's worth it. But to just stay in a Walmart as my campground, I, I don't feel very comfortable there. But I think some of the links in this in this section that you're going to put on our website uh, refer to when you are traveling and you just need an overnight place to stop and you don't want to spend a lot of money for a campground because right. you're only going to be there for the one night, then I certainly can see boondocking as a... A reasonable choice. And this person says, as a full-time RVer, I don't have the means to pay the average of $30 a night to park my RV at a campground. Plus, setting up an RV every night and moving on to the next, moving on the next morning is a lot of work. When I'm traveling from place to place, I much prefer to pull into a location and just drive off the next day. And if I'm exploring an area for a few days, I'm not going to enjoy the campground anyway. I'd rather just find a safe place to drop my rig. If this is something that interests you, you might want to take a look at the article How to Find RV Overnight and Boondocking Locations, which uh, the link I will provide for you on the website. And when you go there, you will see links to lots of resources, many of them print, that you can purchase that are a collection of places where you can boondock for free. And it also links to things like the casino, free, free casino camping. Right, which we've camped on many times. Right. And I also, it seems, uh, to pay for information about boondocking sites seems kind of counterproductive but i'm a, a member of uh, overnight camping rv or overnight rv camping website and in it you can find good locations to and appropriate locations to do boondocking <laughs> but you have to pay for it <laughs> And I'm always the website. The website is what you pay for it. The <laughs> database, not. And I'm always a little leery about books for this kind of information. I'm sure they were perfect when they were printed, but as things are always changing, people change the rules. Things come and go, and it feels to me like web resources will probably be more accurate and up to date. Right, and of course they they list which WalMarts, and not all WalMarts. It, it, it's becoming clear the Walmart is is in a period of transition. Not all WalMarts will let you camp there anymore. Depends on the community. It, it isn't quite as uh, ubiquitous as it was at one time. Uh, I also have another article here from Dinghy Towing about how to lubricate your Blue Ox tow bar. I was very surprised to find that our tow bar was becoming balky. Oh, it's hard to believe it was so hard to move before. I watched this video, and it said, when it's getting hard for you to move the tow bar, it's time to lubricate it. And I thought, I couldn't move the tow bar when it was brand new. It's so stiff and heavy. But oh, no, no, no. I watched the video, yes. and the demonstration looked so easy, I think I could do it. 
and I believe you can. And so I watched the video, and I went out and did it, and it improved the motion of our blue ox dramatically. And it, it just seemed to me like the blue ox, the stuff that you lubricate on it is was pretty much self-enclosed, and there was no it real... It looks like it. No real way for it to go bad, but it, the, it needed grease in a serious way. Even well, when you think of some of the really dusty old. places we've been, it yeah, seeps but it's into got everything. the boot around it and it's tightly sealed. And where does the grease go? If you have a blue ox tow bar, I think the grease got bar, dusty. Okay, I don't know. After we came back from Alaska, I went out there and lubricated it, and I was amazed at how much better it worked. Um, so I guess that's kind of an indication that you better do it. If you would like to see a, a real yes. RV-oriented, feel-good um, video clip, uh, John Muir, who works for ABC News, does a Made in America city series every so often where he talks about products that are made in America. And this particular clip, he visits the Winnebago factory in Iowa City mm. and... Yeah. He gets a 42-foot RV and drives it <laughs> the first for the, time in his life for the very first time, and you can tell that he's quite nervous about it. This video also includes a lot of clips from other Americans all over the country and talks about how 60% of the RVs that are being rented are being rented by foreigners because they too see this as a good way to well, see America. Well, and El Monte makes 65% of its profits from rental RVs from foreigners, Rather which is very buying. interesting, and it takes 165 workers um, in America. America to, to make, make one, Winnebago, winnie. one winnie. But of course, John might need some t- road tested tips from an RV rookie. So the we have an article here. Pretty fundamental stuff, but if you've never RV'd before, oh. these are things you might want to know. So tips from the RV Navigator or endorsed by the RV Navigator, but actually there are quite a few more, but we'll just start with these. Road tested tip number one. And if you want to read about these, of course, you'll find the link on the website. Use an RV specific route planner on a GPS. It'll factor in overhead clearance and other restrictions such as roads, bridges, and tunnels that won't allow propane tanks. Yeah, one of the things John Muir worried about in the clip was when he went um, <laughs> under an overpass. And how he tall thought, is this thing? Yeah, you've got to know how tall it is. And we do like these. Yeah, we feel that's a good idea. And, of course, if, if you're you, pulling something small, it doesn't matter so much. No, but. right. And even in a Class C, it probably doesn't make... Well, yeah, but yes, it would be good to have a... a the bigger you are, the more you need it. And, of course, if you're interested in low price and you have a, an iPad, you can get the Ram McNally... App. app that's uh, built specifically for RVs, but it's on the iPad, and so then you have a nice big screen, and we found it works very well. Mm-hmm. The GPS in the iPad is very sensitive and, and works quite well. Tip number two talks about bringing or renting bikes in an area to that you're visiting while you're camping. It beats moving the RV to a trailhead for hiking, only to find that there's no room to park, and sometimes you can get places on a bike more quickly and easily than you could on foot. And we just plain like riding our bikes around campgrounds it's fun in the evening to ride your bike around to see what else uh, what people are doing and what's going on in the campground and we take it to trails we look for the rails to trails program tip number three talks about camping at a walmart if you are exhausted and Which not near a campground mentioned. we would add again that before you do that you want to investigate whether that right. walmart allows rvs not all of them do anymore tip number four says if you're parked in one spot for a while run the rv engine for a few minutes each day to recharge the battery Depends, yeah. huh? Your battery probably won't last more than one day. <laughs> so you better drive Depending it a little bit. Or plug in, of course. Well, they're saying, yeah. 
if you're boondocked. And tip number five is to get a tutorial on how to empty the holding <laughs> tanks. We've heard so many gross stories over the years about people doing that operation and it not turning out the way they thought it would. So that yes. is certainly something that you need to know. Yes, and the idea of putting chemicals into the toilet makes a lot of sense. You don't. You have to put some chemicals in, and we've been using the eco-sensitive ones lately. And you don't appreciate how good they are until you forget to put them in. <laughs> Take it from us. It's, who's had some experience Just with that. a reminder, yes. But we've never had a major spill. No. But. No. It, people have. And yeah. And, of course, you can watch some movies, which we'll show this to you. And the next question is, do you do your own RV maintenance? I would say that's directly connected to how rich you are and how handy you are. Because if well, you're not very handy, you could cause yourself more problems than you are trying to fix. According to this article, when you choose the RV lifestyle, you take on the maintenance of both a vehicle and a house. In the case of a motorhome, both are one vehicle. With a fifth wheel and a trailer, they are separate, and just like a house, you have appliances, cabinets, and water heater. You have house batteries to maintain, holding tanks, and roof. If something goes wrong with any of these things in your house, it can be inconvenient and inexpensive to fix, and it will happen. Things go wrong, break, or need replacement. George describes an RV as a rolling earthquake, meaning something will jar loose eventually or crack or break. The noises you hear or the things that are loose, if not dealt with, will get worse and cost more money in the long run. So do we do our own maintenance? You're very handy and you have a real can-do spirit. But we have a washing machine that needs a Splendid that needs to have a new motherboard put into it. Now, you'd think that I could put in a motherboard. Well, it's still under warranty. Ah, so she and won't we let don't want to wreck it. the warranty, I think. So we're looking for somebody to help put that in. It's my perception. Tell me if you agree that there's a lot more to fix on the RV than there is in our house. Oh, no. Yeah. No, but I think the point here is is that it gets shaken and rattled and rolled. And that so might that, be why. So that it, it tends to break more. Right. So you're going to have this problem. I, I feel so like what things you, are less robustly so, made in, in RVs. So, but like with the tow bar, you know, I was able to fix that. But how was I able to fix that? One, you start with reading the manuals for your RV. What? Read the manuals? Well, no, we do. And we have a major... An extensive accordion kit where I file them all the way so we can find them because we have so many manuals in the motorhome. Right. And then maybe you want to take a look at some DVDs about uh, that are made specifically for our viewers about how to do these things. And there is a bunch of them um, that are listed here, uh, RV Education 101. And stuff on the web. And stuff on the web, right. If you just go to, to uh, YouTube, you, you'll find <laughs> videos about how to how do How to do anything. Yeah. One of our... Uh, definite uh, projects is just go to the web and take a look at it. If you can see how to do it, do it. Like with the tow bar. And but sometimes it's a lot easier to understand when you see it being done than if you just read about it. At least right. that's true for me. And they offer maintenance classes uh, during various seminars at, uh, at RV shows. I think another factor, if you're not a full-timer, is you put your RV away, and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes things go wrong in it while it's being stored. And I have a tendency to just leap in and expect everything to be perfect, and sometimes uh -huh. that's not the case. Does she ever. Okay. Not repairing things the right way can be a safety issue, and extensive repairs could mean moving out of your house while it's fixed. Neither of these are something to look forward to. Having some knowledge will make your... Well, it's not only the knowledge, but it gives you the idea 
idea of whether you can fix it or not. You know, if you if you know a little bit about this sort of stuff. And preventative maintenance. Yes, right. I'm a Things big, you should do regularly yes. so that you don't have trouble. Right, and to know whether you're getting a good deal. Anyway, so. Whether you do your own maintenance or not would be an interesting topic, and we'll be glad to hear from you and put your comments. And I think another issue is that RV maintenance seems to be a specialized trade. When, when we're at home, if we need something fixed, it doesn't seem to be a problem to find somebody who knows how. Or sometimes in an RV, we're not near anybody who seems to mm-hmm. know what to do. Although, boy, you had a good experience with the when we had our valve fixed out, yeah, in, yeah. out in Utah. Yeah. KOA opens its first holiday campground. Hmm. What's a holiday campground? Well, over the next few years, KOAs across North America will be rebranded as either a KOA journey, a KOA holiday, or a KOA resort campground. It's really about bringing the first-time visitors to KOA campgrounds. We think the new rebranding effort will help emphasize the kind of camping experience you will have when you arrive. So they will be identified depending on the types of facilities that they have. Mm-hmm. So an overnight spot wouldn't have a lot of campfire programs and right, there were a lot of kids stuff. Fake. Yeah, so and and I think we like that. KOAs we kind of stay away from because they have so many facilities that we pay for that we, and that don't we pay use. for and don't use. I think KOA would be wise to have an special rate if you get there after 4 and leave before 8 in the morning. I think or, we've mentioned this before. levels of service? Not I don't service. know if you need a pass to get in. I don't know. that there, there should be some way, because we like KOAs, but the, overall they're just too expensive for the kind of camping that we're frequently doing. They were much more important to me when we were still tent camping because oh, yes. they had such reliable bathroom and plumbing and they were always clean. Um, now that I carry my own bathroom, I don't worry about those things as much. Plastic or porcelain? To me, it makes no difference. Porcelain just seems a little more house-like, but a toilet is a toilet. When an onboard RV toilets first came into vogue, there was no choice. Plastic toilets were the order of the day. Now there's a huge influx of porcelain thrones. While many RVs typically come with a plastic toilet, they're often a manufacturer option. And certainly for those looking to replace an existing toilet, china or plastic is the choice we face. So what's the difference? Porcelain's heavier. Ooh, yes. One toilet propaganda advertisement photo compared typical RV toilets to potty chairs in terms of operation. Both china and plastic toilets do the same job and typically in the same fashion. So Just what's how the you feel while seated on the throne, for the most part, is a function of the height of the toilet and the construction of the seat. And the quality of the toilet paper. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, that's very important. However, one, shall we say, stout RVer did comment that he found that many porcelain RV toilets did not have as large a surface area. Or as keister? <laughs> where touching the floor, as did the plastic ones. And as a result, he felt it a bit tippy while sitting uh, on the china toilet. Top heavy. <laughs> Ours is china. Uh-huh. But, but I think our last one was, was, plastic. was plastic. I really don't care. As long Are as they both as strong? As long as it works. I would think the China ones would last longer, but I don't know. If you'd like to weigh in on this important topic, <laughs> please click on the link on our website. <laughs> oh, now here's a cool one. How would you pronounce that? I think it's just an acronym. Oh, really? Q-U-Q-U-Q. I look on their website and it's not. 
cooks up a camping box car camper conversion kit. And there's a video of this kit. It reminds me of something that you built out of wood yes. back in the oh, day. Oh, but this is much slicker. Because it has all the essentials for a kitchen, sleeping quarter, and storage all in a single portable box. This is very cool if you look at the video because it slips into the back of a van and... It kind of has a kitchen, and then it has a bed that flips down and and hooks into the seating arrangements in your car so that you can turn your standard van into an a RV. Camper. Obviously a very mini one, but uh, it does. The bed includes a 10-centimeter thick foam mattress. It folds up easily, manageable with, a, with the included handle. The kitchen is outfitted with a dual-burner stove, a 20-liter fresh water tank, and a sink surface and it slips in and out. And now, the last item that we have for today... Going from the cheap to the ridiculously expensive... (laughs) The most expensive RV is being sold for 2 million pounds in Dubai. Where they have serious money to spend on such things. Comes complete with a colossal master bedroom and has a pop-up cocktail bar, underfloor heating, and marble lights. State-of-the-art homes even wash themselves after a day of driving. Whoa. Of course, then my next But I look at this thing. I've never, it, it Actually, there's a movie and pictures, and it looks, whoa. But I've, I've never seen one. But where do you go camping in Dubai? Or Qatar? Where did it say? In Dubai. Dubai. In Dubai. the desert. You can drive it in the desert? I don't know. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> For the man who has everything. For the man who, who has everything and an extra two million pounds, so which is at least money. which is at least three million dollars. And wants a very buy. strange looking vehicle. I'm not even sure how you see out of it to be at the driver. But anyway, another episode of the RV Navigator comes to an end. And are we going to see people in a campground near us in the near future? Pretty soon. At the end of the summer we're gonna take a trip. At the end of the summer we're off to Midwestern, well, a lot, a lot of places. A lot of places. Wisconsin. Going to golf camp. Michigan, Ohio. And then we might see you in a campground near us. But until then, you'll have to be satisfied by sending us emails. And we hope to hear from you in the not-too-distant future. Bye for now. Bye now. Bye now.